Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. I'm Dr. John Herding here with Dr. Ray Carr. How's everyone doing today? Coach Rob Rabina. How we doing? And student physical therapist Alex Stewart. Hey. Today we're going to talk about how to improve your vertical jump. If you want to dunk a basketball, talk to Rob Rabina. Yes. Rob. I, I can dunk for all our listeners out there. We will post, we will post video kidding, on that. I can't dunk. That's a total joke. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I get, I get that a lot where athletes come in, they play a jumping sport, volleyball, basketball, you know, anything that requires you to jump high. Um, and, of course, everyone wants to jump higher. So that, that's a very popular goal in those sports. And, you know, first you have to assess vertical jump. So there's a lot of ways to assess that. Uh, one being I use a, an, an app that measures vertical jump via uh, time in the air. So you can measure vertical jumping via time in the air with a vertex, pretty much. Um, the studies that I looked at, the Vertec inflates the, the actual vertical jump height because there's an external stimuli for that person to, to, to go to and hit. Um, so it's not a true jump height. True jump height is measured with uh, time in the air measurements. So there's a jump mat. I have an app and apparatus that measures uh, jump height. Uh, that's similar to a, to a jump mat, but just, just, just a little bit different. Um, so a lot of ways I measure vertical jump. I'll measure it with an arm swing with no approach. I'll measure um, hands on hips, vertical jump. I'll measure an approach jump height with an arm swing. I'll measure a non, you can measure a non counter movement vertical jump height. And then you can also measure repeated vertical jumps. Um, so all of these provide different information about the person's ability to produce force as quickly as possible in the lower body. Um, so, you have to first do your initial tests and analyze the testing results and see which which direction uh, to go from a programming side. Um, you know, also taking into consideration the person's training age, their training experience, how often are, are you know what's their strength training experience. Because um, a big component of of improving your vertical jump is is improving your strength, is improving your force. Um, coming back to the force velocity curve, that's a, a pretty much you know. A huge concept when it comes to um, developing power and developing uh, force as quickly as possible. So you do have to get strong. Um, if an athlete is not strong, we would then do a lot of strength training. And our strength training would predominantly be uh, a lot of squatting type of variations, a lot of deadlifting variations, uh, where they're in a similar stance or takeoff position as they would be when they're doing a vertical jump. Um, so squats are, I found, just been a phenomenal exercise to utilize to, from a strength side to improve that lower body. Rob, going back real quick to like your testing criteria. Yep. Um, so you mentioned testing the vert in a couple different positions. Yep. With what are you looking for certain things in, you know, that would drive your programming in a certain direction? Right. So, so if someone has a good counter movement jump, but they don't have a good, maybe non counter movement, or they don't have a good, uh, maybe hands on hips. Um, so like hands on hips, let's talk about that. Hands on hips just takes out the arm swing. 
So those individuals that might have that might rely on the arms, okay. you're right, they might rely on a lot of uh, pulling of the knees up to, to jump instead of putting force into the ground because it eliminates that. You have to put force in the ground to jump as high as you can with the hands on the hips. So with that specific test, I'm looking at pretty much isolating as best we can lower body power without any other factors taking, taking into consideration. Um, the non-counter movement, we take away that eccentric phase of the, of the jump. So a lot of athletes rely on that eccentric followed by that quickly concentric nature of, of jumping. Um, so athletes that have poor concentric strength um, via non-counter movement jump will show in that, in that test. Um, so again, it just helps programming where you might not program a ton of traditional exercises, eccentric followed by concentric, you might program more isometric based exercises, um, you know, or things where there's, you know, starting in the bottom, like Anderson front squats, things like that to help promote, um, you know, for vertical jump. And then the, the other one, the repeated jumping, which is very applicable for, oh, probably one of the most applicable, because um, like how, how much can you maintain your 20 inch vertical jump? Um, that's and, and that's the repeated. So that'll tell you if you need to do more repeated hurdle hopping, um, you know, anything that requires some more power slash endurance jumps. Well, I'm curious too, Rob. You said the the Vertimax is less authentic in its measurements because it's an external stimuli. Right. Um, when most athletes are jumping in sport, there is an external stimuli. Mm -hmm. So. Um, do you completely discount that or do you no no I, it's I mean my the, the, that statement was more from a, a research side gotcha. um, yeah, I, I have nothing wrong with the vertex yeah I think vertex great um, but from a, a research and reliability side the, the jump mass more reliable gotcha. all right Rob so like this might be a question coming from some athletes like they might be in a sport where it doesn't involve jumping and they, they might want to they wonder why why are you making me jump or what are you looking at to see what my my vertical is if I'm not in a sport that requires me to jump yeah that's a great question so obviously we see a lot of baseball and anecdotally baseball players are bad jumpers <laughs> you know just from my experience they don't really they're not good jumpers uh, because it doesn't require them to jump so, but yeah, I still have them jump because I believe jumping and producing power, um, you know, vertically overall, not spending a ton of time on it, just helps build better athletes. It builds a lot of good qualities in the lower body. That throwing a baseball helps. It's just obviously not very specific to throwing a baseball, but it's still good quality uh, to train, you know, that, that uh, repeated power, that just maximal power output going into the ground, jumping as high as you can. Because um, believe it or not, baseball players and pitchers are athletes, and we have to train them that way too. So, um, but it, you know, I think coming back to some of my favorite exercises that I like to do for vertical jump, um, you know, one I guess more of like a beginner variation. Um, again, we, we we test hands on hips vertical jump. I love training hands on hips vertical jumps. You know, repeated anywhere from. Um, you know, one to four to five reps, if we're getting anything over four to five reps, um, you know, kind of we start to diminish our, our power output and it becomes more conditioning. So if our true goal is to develop power, we don't want to do anything, you know, too high on a, on a, on a rep standpoint. Um, so I love hands on hips, vertical jump. Again, just it's teaching proper lower body power without any, you know, arm swing compensation or, um, you know, anything, anything of that nature. So love the hands on hips, vertical jump. 
Um, obviously, when we're talking about jumping, you have to come back to mechanics. So mechanics are, are huge, making sure that their overall jump mechanics, their landing mechanics, their deceleration mechanics, all of that from a knee standpoint, from a hip and ankle control standpoint, that obviously has to come before just hopping and just doing a ton of jumping variations. So we have to make sure that our deceleration is 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 uh, adequate before we start getting into that. But um, you know, I think from a, a deceleration standpoint, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on you know anything that you guys have used from a knee or hip ankle standpoint you know, to help train deceleration. Yeah, I think um, generally when people come into the clinic in obviously more of a physical therapy setting, talking about now, um, and say maybe it could be something like hip or knee pain. And so we're working to get them back to Rob so he can train that uh, max vert. Um, and so well, that's a lot of the times where we start. Um, I know I'm pretty sure me and John both commonly start with depth jumps or some kind of snap down or something where you have to where you're exposing um, that involved extremity to some load and stress and forcing it to stabilize in a single leg position. And yeah, I, I've found that once someone has sh shown a pretty firm ability to do that, repetitive jumping and you know kind of clears the way for those kind of progressions to make those progressions. Um, you guys have thoughts on box jumps? Like them? Don't like them? High box jumps? Um, I think you always have to train deceleration before you train, like, um, takeoff. takeoff, right? You have to learn how to control the landing. And I think that's where, for us, injury um, recovery or prevention becomes performance because just improving jump mechanics, as you briefly talked about, can right away increase your vertical jump height, right? Um, I think box jumps and a lot of those plyometric based activities are not volume, or they're, they're low volume exercises versus a high volume cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people will get into trouble and they'll hurt themselves when they get into high volume cardiovascular focused um, plyometric activities um, with poor form. And then you run into tendinopathies and overuse injuries and, and that kind of stuff. So just clarifying, don't do box jumps for cardio. I would I would tend to agree with that statement, yes. Um, but that, but it's become it you know you could put it in the same realm as burpees, and you know some people really love them, some people really hate them, some people um, you know include them in their programs, and some people it's it's a big part of their programs. I think it's just um, what's your philosophy, where do things fit in, but make sure that people look good doing them with good mechanics, and like everything else we talk about very often, it's it becomes. Um, a volume and load management thing where um, I do think it's negligent to probably just on someone's first couple workouts say go do 100 burpees or 100 box jumps because you're just asking for um, for overuse injuries at that point make sure um, as we've talked about in the past make sure that you are putting giving the right input to people at the right times um, when they need it the most yeah I think it's huge too with like the vertical jump if we look at it just kind of see where the athlete is from pre-workout to post-workout when it comes to like an off-season training uh, we used to use this with like high school athletes when we would train for like football season like we might test their vertical jump in the beginning of the the preseason and then compare it to right before the season starts without doing any jumping at all during the during the preseason workout we would be able to see gains in their vertical jump throughout the eight to ten weeks or whatever it is and mainly that's because we're just increasing like their lower extremity their leg power through squats resisted squats using bands chains whatever it may be so it doesn't always have to be that 
you're jumping more to get your vertical jump higher, right? As long as you're increasing that leg power, you're going to see an increase in vertical jump as well, which I think is huge. Yeah. And I think even, you know, so first so we talked a little bit about beginner athletes, just proper basic jump mechanics. We talked about hands on hips, vertical jumping variations. Obviously, like you could do arm swing, in place jumps, repeated jumps. Um, you know, for more advanced athletes, though, we'll utilize hurdle hopping variations. Um, and then from the strength training side, we can really get really creative and kind of get into some contrast training where we'll do, you know, a heavy squat followed by a, a, a vertical jump. Um, so there's some good studies on that 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 shows really good improvements in vertical jump. Um, you know, you can do a lot of um, you know, power and speed training with some light load. So you, this is where we'll utilize some accommodating resistance. So we'll do like chins or banes for squats. Again, just like like a fast squat is a vertical jump. So like if you can do a fast squat um, with some with some load on your back um, for speed and power, um, that's that's winning in my book. Um, so you know, for more advanced athletes that are might be only looking for a slight improvement, um, we, we have to utilize some of those techniques to to kind of crack through their their uh, vertical jump. Um, but yeah, love doing like accommodating resistance squats, um, weighted vest jumps for more advanced athletes, throwing a weighted vest on is just an easy way to get a little bit more body weight load. So again, they have to produce more power, more force into the ground to be able to jump as high as possible. Rob, what about um, bilateral versus maybe split stands versus single leg jumps? And how do you incorporate those into your program, and, and how do they apply to transfer onto the field for a lot of these these athletes yeah. that are focused on vertical jump? Um, so I do a lot of, I would say, bilateral jumping than I do single leg jumping. Um, reason being, single leg jumping is really hard. And it's hard to produce high amounts of force and power in a single leg jump. Like, if you think about that, like, one leg, your body weight, jump as high as you can. A lot of people aren't going to jump very high. So we're getting low power output um, as compared to just a normal bilateral jumping. Having said that, I do do single leg jumps. Um, how I do them is I'll have them, you know, almost like a single leg box, like sit, like a one leg box squat to a bench, and then have them arm swing, stand up off the box, jump up as high as they can off one leg. Um, so that would be my one of my favorite single leg jumping variations. I'll also utilize like a, like a alternating split squat lunge jumping. Um, you know, that's a little bit of like a you know, single leg, single leg supported jumping variation. Um, utilize those two probably the most. A um, little bit of like forward single leg um, hopping for distance. I'll, I'll utilize that a little bit, but that's really more just like horizontal jumping, not so much vertical. But, um, you know, I would say mo mostly bilateral, but you know, single leg training. Um, single leg jump training is using for more advanced athletes. So you're just looking at maximum force production yeah. in yeah. a lot of these people. Name of the game, you gotta you gotta get fast, train fast. Um, if you're not pushing that that barrier, then you're not going to improve vertical jump. When I think that that what you just said was huge, like to get fast, you gotta train fast. Yep. You can't just think you're gonna squat as heavy as you can without with the transfer going to max explosive power. You gotta yeah. you gotta. Add some speed to the lift. Right, exactly. Whereas, like with other qualities like strength, like uh, you know, you can get stronger by um, depending on the age of the athlete, training experience of the athlete. You can get stronger lifting, you know, hypertrophy or endurance-based rep ranges if volume is matched. Whereas with power training, uh, you know, 
you can do low level jumps, but you're not going to jump higher. It's almost sure. like if you want to run faster, you have to run fast. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, and I see that a lot too with speed training. Like, uh, that's one reason when it comes to like speed drills. I don't really. Not, I I do a few speed drills, but I much rather have kids just like sprint as fast as they can, and we'll work on technique through that because we're actually trying to get faster by sprinting faster. From um from a PT pers- perspective, uh, you know, I mean, PTs, you guys are allowed to jump with your your patients. Um, no. uh, I have someone no. right now. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I mean, he had patellar. This patient had a patellar uh, repair uh, one year ago. It's discharged around three or four months. Still has no idea how to how to accept load onto his involved side. Um, so like for instance, just today, I mean, we did a little circuit of some flywheel symmetrical bilateral squats into a unilateral like eccentric box squat into a bilateral squat jump landing on the one leg and then transition last into a single leg squat box jump just coming up and to rob to your point i mean we were getting i think six inch six inch box in terms of that squat box jump single leg so yeah, and I always feel like when, with single leg jumping, because for, for max power, people you see more horizontal displacement. Uh-huh. And so sometimes I even have to almost, like I put a step in front of this, yep. so to force the vertical to displacement. Yep. Yeah, that's because good. that's what we want. That's what's transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's some, cool. some ideas there from a PT perspective. Real quick to wrap up my thoughts. Uh, with vertical jumping, you kind of have to just always monitor, um, you know, you always want to kind of just keep an eye on how much jumps you're actually performing you know some people will monitor foot contacts and and you know because if you what you don't want to happen is you don't want to develop some sort of like patellotendinitis like jumpers knee um you know sometimes that that could arise from like really pushing a lot of squats and quad dominant and jumping variations where like the knees and the patellas just like kind of get a little toasty so you always make sure you're offsetting that with some good posterior chain training and um, obviously, make sure you have good mechanics as well. And for anybody interested out there, where would you where would you uh, recommend putting your jumps in your program? Would you recommend putting them before your lift, after your lift, in the middle of the lift? Yeah, great question. Definitely after a warm up, um, before lift, I would do a lot of jumps because again, the name of the game is power output. So if we're fatigued doing them at the end of a workout session or in the middle of a workout session, we're not going to be able to produce as much force as possible. And then do you have a recommendation on how many foot contacts you'll keep in a program? Or is uh, it variable? Look up the NSCA. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't remember. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, I know they have some good resources on, on specific foot contacts. Guidelines. Yeah, I, yep. I don't remember. So, cool. Excellent, guys. Um, thank you for listening to Training Room Talk again. Um, please share, leave comments. Um, we're trying to spread the word and get the – get this content out there. So if you like what we're doing, please share with your friends, family, colleagues, all that. Um, Please also, any questions, please send them to myself at J-H-E-R-T-I-N-G at thetrainingroompt.com, and we'll take care of answering any questions for you. Thanks a lot, guys. Until next time. Thank you, guys.